0: Uh, That would be great. So jump into the sermon, grab your Bibles, turn to Colossians, Colossians chapter 2. We're working our way through this uh, incredible letter that was written really to encourage us as followers of Christ how to get our priorities straight. There's a thread that runs throughout this letter that, that is kind of continually reminding us that if we hold Jesus above everything else, things are going to work out in our lives. But we have this human tendency, all of us, everyone in the room, everyone who's trying to walk with Christ, have this human tendency to elevate things to their inappropriate place. And when we do that, it creates havoc, it creates stress, it creates exhaustion, it creates difficulties in our lives, right? So, so what we see is in this letter, it's making it clear that when we get our relationship with God in order when we get our vertical relationship in order i said this a couple weeks ago all of our horizontal relationships fall into their proper place when you get your vertical relationship in, in order your horizontal relationships fall into place but when you get out of skew and you begin to to get your vertical relationship those horizontal relationships become chaotic and we have stress in our in our relationships with one another if your Bibles are open uh, right now and you're in Colossians 2, right before verse 6, uh, if you have an NIV or maybe an ESV, which is what we teach from, there's a, a little chapter heading there. It probably says, Alive in Christ. I don't know what yours says, but my Bible says, Alive in Christ. Just so you know, those headings aren't in the original scriptures. As a matter of fact, the chapter breakouts, all of the verse numbers, that's all added just for us to be able to navigate scripture better. But I love the fact that some Bible experts somewhere decided to entitle this section of scripture that we're studying alive in Christ. Here is a passage of scripture that's telling us how to have life in our relationship with Christ, how to have life as we journey as followers. So that's worth paying attention to, isn't it? Colossians 2, verses six through 15. It says, therefore, if you, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human traditions, according to elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells boldly and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Verse 11, in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Verse 13, and you who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcised in your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, amen is right, by concealing the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Let me pray. Lord, I just thank you for uh, the book of Colossians. The more we study it, the more we teach it, the more excited I get about it. It is an amazing a letter that has so much for us as a church here at Marassa 994. I just pray that each one of us would receive what you have for us today, that we would hear the challenges of these scriptures as an invitation to go deeper with you and to be stronger in you. Our prayer this morning is the same prayer it's been every week, that we would leave different than we came because we've interacted with the living God. May we never be satisfied to play church. To walk in and check the box and know that we've done our church thing, that that's not what you're into. But may we receive what you have for us and be changed and transformed more and more and more into the image of your son Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So verse 6 and 7 of Colossians is really the summary statement of the entire letter. If you were to go back and read through the letter, you would realize that almost everything Paul is saying would point right back to these two statements, what comes in verse 6 and 7. We could have started every week so far by reading verse 6 and 7 and then using whatever we were teaching to explain what Paul is talking about. So in verse 6, Paul says these words. He says, "'As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord.'" And I believe deep down in all of us, deep in our spirit, that we have this desire for a meaningful life. We all desire for our lives to have purpose and meaning, to be, to be full. We all desire to make an impact in the world. I think it's just how God is wired. It's part of being an, an image bearer. But the deal is having a meaningful life, having all that God desires for you, all starts with this one phrase, this one statement that Paul is making. We must be willing to receive Jesus. Now, here's the deal. It's not enough to just believe in Jesus. The scriptures make that clear. It's not enough to even have a great deal of respect for Jesus as an amazing teacher, a great philosopher. It's not enough to know that he was uh, something extraordinary, right? Right? It's it's not about intellectual ascent that we learn more and more about Jesus. Here's the deal, intellectual ascent knowledge never saved anyone. What Paul does here is he strings together three words that are each one important. He says Christ Jesus the Lord. When he says Christ, he's saying he's the Messiah. He's the chosen one. He's the, the one who's come, who's come to re, redeem the world. Jesus helps, lets us know exactly who he's talking about, the person of Jesus. But then he says the Lord. To be the Lord means that you're the ruler. It means that you you lord over something. There is a, a kingdom of which you lord over. And it's interesting that, that we know Jesus from, I remember earlier in Colossians, he talked about how Jesus holds all things together. In him, everything stands. In motion, right? That's Jesus. So He lords over the entire cosmos. But Paul isn't talking about the cosmos. He's talking about your life. He says you have to allow Jesus to be Lord of your life. I want to explain this by using a, a different passage. And the passage that you probably have memorized. Most of you, or a lot of you, have memorized. It's John three sixteen. Remember, Tebow used to put it on his on his eyes. You know, it's a, the guy used to stand with the rainbow. Here in the back of the end zone, John 3:16. That's the passage. But we know it: For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And the interesting thing is, this is not only the most memorized passage in Scripture, but I think it might be the most misinterpreted passage in Scripture. You see, in the original Greek, this word "in" right here. There's two words. One is "en." which is kind of the word that we would more commonly use in our language, it would be translated "I and The other one, and it's the the word that that John uses when he wrote this passage, is E-I-S. And it actually means to go into. It has this image of actually being placed into, like a a plow going into the ground and turning the soil in the ground. And so if you were to translate this literally, you would say whoever believes into him, right? But we don't really say that because it doesn't sound grammatically correct. It's, It's kind of bad English. Whoever believes into him, we would all stop and say, I don't know what that means. But the better way to translate it, and maybe some of your Bibles translate it this way, would be whoever trusts in him. What they're really saying is whoever places their lives into Jesus... It's a very different than just believing in that he was a great teacher. This is this this willfully saying, I am going to let Jesus be the Lord of my life. I'm going to place my life into the life of Christ. To to place yourself into Christ is to, is to allow him to bring correction into your life, to, to lead you, to guide you. It means that you're, you're thinking about what Jesus would have for you in every decision you, you make. It, it's just... Simply put, allowing him to be Lord of your life, okay? So I'm going to get into something that I think is very delicate uh, and uh, easily misunderstood. So I'm just going to ask that you really pay close attention and stay with me. So here at Grace, we believe that when you put your faith in Jesus, uh, you're saved and that your eternity is secure, there's a lot of passages that we could use to, to make that theological case. But the, the one that's probably strongest to me is it says that when we, when we say yes to Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit and we're branded is what it says. We're sealed and the word sealed there is the same word as, as being branded, like a cattle would be branded. We're marked, literally marked, as God's possession when we say yes to Jesus. And then we have passages that say, nothing can snatch you from my Father's hand. So, so as I talk through this message, it would be easy for you to hear that what I'm saying is you have to do all these things to make sure you have eternal security. And I just want to say, right from the front, I am not teaching that today. What I am saying is that Jesus is offering you life right now. And if you want to have life between now and whenever your death comes, there are things that we need to be aware of and ways in which we need to live our lives in order for that to happen. So you can live from now to your death and live in chaos and and have all kinds of turmoil and still have eternal security, but the passage is talking about how to live this full, all of Colossians. He's talking about how to live this full, abundant life. So Jesus was asked, what is eternal life? And you know what he said? He said, eternal life is to know me and to know the Father that sent me. So the more we get to know Jesus, the more life we have, and that starts now. So just hold on to that. I'm not teaching today that you need to keep doing these things in order to have your eternal security. As a matter of fact, that's one of the very things that Paul is teaching against in this letter, okay? You got me? All right, we'll see how many emails I get. Okay, <laughs> look again at verse six. Paul says, if you wanna have a full, purpose-filled life, you must receive Jesus Christ as Lord and you must walk in him. Some of your translations, you have an NIV, I think it says, live your lives in him, which is really saying the same thing, but I actually like walk better and it's closer to the original Greek. And the reason I like walk better is because it's this picture of a journey. Your, our faith is a journey. We are, we are going somewhere. And, and, and it's this picture of you have to stay on the journey. It's not a once and done thing. You come down front and you pray to receive Christ as Lord. Your journey is just beginning. It's not like, okay, it's done. Now you just go to life as normal, okay? So you have to walk with him. So in verse seven, Paul writes these words. He says, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And what I love about this is Paul is not only telling us what we need to do, but now he's telling us how we do it. He's saying, you need to walk with Jesus. And here is how a person who has said yes to Jesus in their lives is to walk out their faith. There are four steps. Now I use the word steps and I'm not sure that I love the word steps, but I tried to think of a different word and I couldn't because I didn't want it to sound like you take a step and you're done. And then you take the next step and you're done. And then you take the next step and you're done. And that's not really what it is. Almost like this is a dance. Like all the steps come together to keep you moving. But if you have the image of a journey, these are the steps that we just have to continue to take, continue to take, continue to take in order to be on the journey with Christ, okay? This is the steps that make up the walk in Jesus. You with me? So the four steps for walking in him. First, you need to be rooted. Second, you need to be built up. Third, you need to be established in the faith. And fourth, you need to be abounding in thanksgiving. There's a lot of similarities in these four steps. There's a lot of uh, overlap, if you will, but there's also some very unique nuances to them. So I just wanna walk through each one of these four one by one. The first one is to be rooted and it's an agricultural connotation and it's pretty, pretty simple for us to think about. It's the idea of your roots going deep into the ground. It's idea of a, of a solid foundation, but you think about it, the, the very nourishment for any plant comes from the roots. When the roots are cut off, the plant dies. If the roots don't go deep enough and get the nutrition they need, then the plant dies. So you need to be rooted, but not rooted just in anything. You need to be rooted in Christ. One of my life verses, my favorite verses in scripture that I go back to often is Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8. It says, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. There's that placing your confidence into him, right? So blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water. It sends out its roots, there's the rooted by the stream, and get that picture, it sends the roots out deeper. It doesn't fear when the heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worry in the year of drought, and it never fails to bear fruit. Deep roots is the battleground against fear and anxiety. As we walk with Jesus, as we trust Jesus with our lives, as our roots go deeper, it is eliminates it. It alleviates the depression in our lives. It alleviates the anxiety in our lives. It alleviates the fear in our lives and allows us to bear fruit in any season. And in this case, it's talking about drought and difficult seasons. We can still bear fruit. It's the same image of remaining. So in John 15, right, we talk about the vine and remain in the vine. And if you, if you want to bear fruit, you got to stay connected. That's your, your lifeblood. So the first one is that we stay rooted. The second one is that we're built up. And I love this. Paul Paul goes from an agricultural uh, kind of metaphor and now he's using a construction metaphor. And the picture here is that the revelation of God in our lives become like building blocks. And this is, think about it, the roots go into the ground and now the building up is above the ground, right? The structure of our lives begins to be built up one block at a time, one brick at a time, one after another. The best way I can give you an example of this is by thinking about when God gives you a revelation, God speaks to you. When you receive what God is saying to you, those become the bricks that are built up that, is, that, that become part of your faith. I've shared this with you guys a lot and it's fitting today as we talk about the weekend to remember, but uh, Meg and I have been married for a long time, but the first 10 years, uh, they were terrible. I was gonna say they were hell, but I didn't know if I'd get in trouble for that, but they were hell. Um, we, we were not kind to one another. It was as bad as it gets. As a matter of fact, um, when Meg and I sit with couples whose marriages are a disaster, uh, one of the questions we often ask is, do you have hope? Do you have hope for, that you can get through this? And a lot of times the couples will say no. And it's very easy for Meg and I to have hope for them because of where we've been and where we are now. We have a great marriage. I love uh, what Meg and I have together. As a matter of fact, I would hold it up as a marriage that we should all fight for. And it's not perfect but we sure come a long ways, but here's the point. People come to us and we work with couples and people ask us all the time, well, what's the secret? What's the, what do we need to do? And what they want is the easy fix, right? Well, if you guys just, you know, take two aspirin and drink a little water every night, you'll be all better. That's a make solution to everything. You gotta drink more water. But in this case, <laughs> it doesn't matter. I got a headache, did you drink enough water? I got a stomachache, did you drink enough water? Anyway, we're not talking about that. What what we discovered is that as I began to walk with Jesus, right, God would reveal things to me, like, you have a lot of anger, Doug, and you are expressing your anger on your wife. That happened in the context of my D group, as a matter of fact, where I asked the guys, hey, what's it like to be with me? And they just said, you're an angry guy. And that really made me angry. But anyway, (laughs) the whole point is God brings revelation in our lives. And as we Deal with the revelation of what God gives or the instruction that God gives. You need to apologize. There was a season of time where God just told me I had to be Uh, honest with Meg about all of the ways I'd sinned against her and I needed to apologize or we would never be healthy. Can I tell you that was the scariest moment of my life? I thought she would leave me, but I had to be obedient. Those are all the building blocks that became part of my faith, those little moments of obedience. But guess what? God was doing the same thing with Meg and she was having these experiences. And as we moved closer and closer to our God, as we moved in our relationship with God, as our faith was being built brick by brick, we moved closer and closer to one another. But what I want you to hear is it's a, it's a process, it's a journey, and you have to be faithful with the revelation that God has given you if you really expect to get more revelation from God. So if you come to me and you say, God isn't speaking to me, I don't hear from God, sometimes I'll say, well, what's the last thing you heard from him? And you'll think for a minute, and you'll say, well, I know he really wanted me to apologize to my son for the way, I have you done that? No. Well, maybe that's a good place to start. Right, And we laugh, but that's true. God gives us direction and then we stagnate because we're like, well, that's great, God, but that's not the direction I was hoping for because you just give me something else to do because I'd rather do that. But if you're faithful with the thing God gives you, he begins to build you up brick by brick, block by block, stone by stone, one upon another. So we're to be rooted, we're to be built up. And the third one is established in the faith. And really, established in the faith is kind of a descriptor of these two. Once you're rooted, once you're built up, then you have this, you're, you're established in the faith. But I think what I want you to hear this morning is all of these words are written in what's, in what's called a passive mode. In other words, we do not ground ourselves, we do not build ourselves up, we do not establish our own faith. They're all done through the Spirit of God at work in our lives. God does this, okay? But this is a a big one. God is not gonna force himself on you, right? God is not gonna force this to happen in your life. And that's why we have to surrender our lives to the work of Jesus in our lives. You can resist what God is doing and you can short circuit the very thing that God wants to do in your life. So you cannot make this happen, but you can surrender yourself and you can be obedient. And then these things are going to become true of your life. God is not gonna force this on you, but you can say no, okay? The other thing we need to recognize is this is a journey. It's a walk. We, we don't, none of us has, have arrived. None of us could come up here and preach and say, I am completely rooted, I'm completely built up, and I am established in my faith. You don't arrive in this. It's, it's, it's just the process that we're in from now until you go to glory, This is why we have the mission statement we have, which you guys are going to get it great today. You're going to do it for the first try. Our mission statement is awesome. Well, there's a reason why our mission statement is, isn't we are a mosaic like Jesus or living like Jesus, or it's not a definitive statement. It's this is meant to capture the heart of the journey that we are striving more and more, that we are allowing God to help us to be more deeply rooted, to be more built up, to be established in the faith so that we can live our lives like Jesus. None of us get to say, I am completely like Jesus. It just doesn't happen. So we're, we're in the journey. So the last of these four steps When I first started studying this this week, I was thinking, man, it feels like Paul kind of had an afterthought here, like the three really fit together, but then you get this last one and you wonder. So you gotta be rooted, you gotta be built up, established in the faith. And the fourth one is abounding in thanksgiving. But it's not an afterthought at all. As a matter of fact, if you go back to Colossians, and maybe this would be a good exercise for you this week, is just read through Colossians. It'll take you about 15, 20 minutes to read the whole thing. It's only four chapters. Just pay attention to how many times Paul talks about Thanksgiving, being thankful, giving thanks. It's an important part. But here's the deal. Abounding in thanksgiving is the only way for us to truly be proactive, to go on offense instead of always being on the defense. Right? So the bottom line is this. All of our sin is rooted in ingratitude. All of our sin is rooted in ingratitude. Think about it for a minute. The only reason I would turn to to receive something from from the world that I should get from God is because I think what God has isn't enough, right? I, I turn to the other things because I think I need those and God isn't gonna provide everything that I need. Think about the original sin, right? So in the garden, You got Eve and she's being tempted by the serpent. What does the serpent say to her? He says, you know, God's holding back on you. God didn't tell you everything. Yeah, if you take this fruit, you'll actually have something that you don't have now. What is he doing? He's planting seeds of ingratitude. He's planting a a seed in, in Eve that says, hey, wait a minute. I can have more if I go my own direction than what God had offered. But think about this. What if Eve had woken up in the morning, and I don't know what she did that morning, but what if she had practiced this this abounding in thanksgiving, right? What if her heart was was so full of thanksgiving when, when the devil came and tried to tempt her, she'd have been like, are you crazy? Have you seen the garden? Do you know that we get to walk with God? Like he comes, we get to walk through this garden together, like, have you seen how hot my husband is? <laughs> right? I mean, they were perfect. They didn't even have sin. They were pricing some pretty good specimens back then, right? But the whole point is, is she had this, she allowed herself to be ungrateful and it led her towards making bad choices. But let's keep moving because this is pretty powerful. So what Paul is saying, you get to verse eight, he says, if you take these steps, if you stay on the journey, if you allow yourself, you, you put your trust in Jesus and you allow yourself to be rooted, built up, established, abounding in thanksgiving, you will have the assurance, look at this, that no one takes you captive by a philosophy and empty deceits according to human traditions, according to the elemental spirits of the world, not according to Christ. Walking with Jesus in this way keeps you from being Bamboozled. It's my favorite word of my sermon. I'm gonna say it three or four times just because I like saying bamboozled. It means deceived, deluded, hoodwinked, misled, taken in, duped, fooled, right? The actual words, taking you captive. Can we go back to that passage? Um, I think it's verse eight. Boom, Boy, thank you. Uh, so this little phrase here, takes you captive. It's uh, the same phrase. So when you were reading it in the original Greek, uh, the person reading it would have immediately had the image of when an army would roll in and they would decimate the city, the, the enemy city, they would take plunder, right? They would take the what did belong to that city that they just conquered. They would take everything of value back as their possessions, and that's what this is getting after. Don't become the plunder. Of the enemy. Think about that. What Paul is saying is if you walk out your faith with Christ, you will avoid being taken as the possession of the enemy. See what I'm saying? So your mind can become the possession of the enemy. Your way of thinking become caught up in the, the way of the enemy. It's a powerful imagery when you think about it, becoming plunder for the enemy. I sent out an email this week to the leaders at Grace, just some of them, and I asked them, what do you think is the... Uh, what do you think is the philosophy that's, that's, that's catching our people? What do you think uh, is taking grace people captive? What are the philosophies and empty deceits that trip us as a church up? And here are just some of the responses and I just wanna share them with you kind of as, as bullet points. The first one was the prosperity gospel. And if you believe that God is your ticket to self-gratification, uh, you're gonna be in trouble. If you think that if you just get everything right and you just say it the right way, if you just pray it the right way, God's going to give you more stuff and do more things for you, uh, then you're going to become disenchanted with God because nowhere in Scripture is that promise. Now, here's the deal. God desires to bless you. There's no question in my mind that, that blessing is a part of the Scriptures that God wants to bless you. But God is far more concerned with your character. He's far more concerned about building you as a person than he is about building your bank account. And here's the other reality, people, we just need to own is people seldom grow apart from affliction. Pain is what God uses in our lives to get our attention and to grow us. And if you don't know that, then when pain comes, you're gonna say, well, I must have done something wrong. I believe that God just wants to make me happy. God just wants to give me everything. Pain comes in our lives and you miss it. When really the question is, God, what do you want me to learn? Not what did I do to deserve this, but what do you want me to learn as I journey through this? I had the privilege of doing a funeral yesterday morning for a man who had ALS. Um, Brutal, brutal. But I can say, with all confidence that it was ALS that caused this man to turn to Jesus. He said, his words were, ALS was the greatest gift God has ever given me because it's what had me turn my life over to Christ. Now that is the gospel, right? That's the gospel, but it doesn't really line up with a prosperity gospel. God's primary concern is not your immediate gratification. And if you think that, then you'll also fall into the, if it feels good, do it mentality you think, well, if God's given me the desire, it must be okay. Can I just tell you, if you say that to yourself, you are going to make some really bad choices because we have sinful desires that aren't from God and they will lead us into bad places. Another one that uh, I think gets us bamboozled, see, there's the second time I was gonna use that word, is uh, the, this thing called relativism. Relativism is a philosophy that's very much a part of our culture now. It's, it's, in, it's so ingrained in our culture, but it basically just says truth and morality only exist in relation to culture or society or historical context. What it's basically saying is there's no absolute truth. Now here's the scary part. Christianity and relativism are not compatible. They they cannot be, because the scriptures tell us very clearly that Jesus is the way the truth in the life. So if there is no truth, then Jesus isn't truth. And so Jesus can't be who Jesus is. If always lead to heaven, then Jesus isn't who Jesus said he was. Relativism is a scary philosophy of this world that will get you in trouble if you buy into it. And if you pay attention, it's coming at you from all different directions. One of the reoccurring things that people sent to me this week as I asked that question was what I call relational idolatry. This is when we become captive to looking uh, into a relational connection to get what we're supposed to get from God. Uh, I had a conversation with a friend uh, and she told me that when she had her first child, uh, she knew in her heart that she had not been a good person. Uh, I think she was aware of her own fallenness, her own sinfulness, and she knew that she wasn't good. And she said, these are exact words, I figured if I couldn't be a good person, maybe I could at least be a good mom. And so she began to pour everything she had into her firstborn son. But she was expecting her son to give her identity as a good mom. She was actually looking for her son to give her what only Jesus could give her, the redemption from the things that she had done wrong, right? So she's looking to get from a person what she needs to get from God. And she said, eventually, God brought that to her attention and she repented. And guess what? She became a much better mom in the process, right? Because when you get your vertical relationships in order, your horizontal relationships fall into their proper perspective. But we do this all the time. We do it with spouses. We do it with friends. We do it with children. We, do, we look to people to get our worth and our identity when we're supposed to look to God. It is a philosophy of this world that will catch you up. Here's the one um, that's most personal to me. It's the one that I struggle with all the time. And it basically says this, I am my own provider. If I don't do it, if I don't hustle, if I don't make it happen, it's just not gonna happen. If, I, if I'm not here doing what I need to do, it's not gonna get done. Um, here's what I would say, and I know this is a little bit dangerous, um, another opportunity to send me an email, but this is the dark side of the American dream. The American dream is what? If you work hard enough, you can be anything you want. you work hard enough, if you do enough, you can have anything you want. And I would just challenge you to show me that in scripture, right? And I'm not anti-American and I actually think God expects us to work hard, but he expects us to rest. He expects us to live our lives with balance. And he knew that we would have a tendency not to. And so he put these practices into place called Sabbath, right? Did you know that tithing and Sabbath are both commands and practices that God put into place to help us to learn to trust God. And it weren't just because he was mean and he wanted to have the first fruits of all your labor. It wasn't because he was just trying to trick us up. He, he actually is trying to teach us how to trust in him. So here's the bottom line. If you're unwilling to tithe, it's because you have bought into a philosophy of the world and you don't trust Jesus. If you're unwilling to take a Sabbath, it's because you don't trust that God is holding all things together. You think you are your best provider. I want to talk about tithing for just a second because I just think this is fascinating. I talk to people fairly regularly who say I can't tithe because I don't make enough money. If God would just give me a better job, then I could tithe. And I would say, well, do you trust God or don't you? It's really that simple. Do you trust God or don't you? But then I have other people who say to me, I can't tithe because I make so much money. You have no idea how much that would be to give to the church. Right, We laugh, but the question is, do you trust God or don't you? It's too big of a check. I don't want to write that big of a check. It's a, it's a trust issue. So, so the, the reality is, is these are put into place to teach us to trust in God, to teach us to walk with God. If you are unwilling to tithe, you have bought into a philosophy of the world. Okay? Hard truth. I get it. Here's the deal. If you're having sex with someone who's not your spouse you've been taken captive by a philosophy and human tradition of the world. If you're coming home at night and you're stressed and you go to the fridge to take out a beer or you pour yourself a glass of wine to take the edge off, then you have bought into a philosophy of this world. And I'm not even telling you that it's wrong to drink. What I'm telling you is if you're leaning into a thing to get what you're supposed to get from Jesus, then you have bought into a philosophy of the world. Just a couple more so I can step on everybody's toes. <laughs> this one's not in my notes, but I just have to say it. Um, if you are more joyful today, and if you are going to be more joyful all week because Michigan State beat Michigan, <laughs> put, it, put it in its right perspective, folks. Or on the flip side, if your life is ruined for the next seven days, <laughs> look, you might, you might have something askew, right? I'm just saying... Perspective is important. Either, either side of that could go. Here's one that I really want you to hear because I think this is probably the hardest one in our church because we are a mosaic. Uh, if you have disdain in your heart towards someone who voted different than you, then you have bought into a philosophy of this world. Here's what I want you to hear. If we are honest with ourselves, if we are really willing to do self-reflection, self-inspection, we are gonna realize that there are areas of our lives that are askew. We're gonna have to take thoughts captive. We're gonna have to go through a process of renewing our minds, that we need to unlearn some things if we're gonna get this right. So I'm not, this is not any one person. This is us. This is just our fallen nature. I turn to things other than God for comfort, for, and God shows it to me, and that becomes part of the building blocks of my faith. Are you willing to hear the revelation of God, not because he wants to stomp on your toes, but because he's inviting you into more of him, because he wants to help your roots to go deeper. He wants to help build you up in your faith. He wants to establish you in his faith. This is the greatest invitation ever. Paul is offering us life by walking in Christ but it requires that we show up. It's an invitation to walk with Jesus. It's the greatest invitation that anyone can ever put in front of you, to discover who Jesus is, to have him be the Lord of every decision you make in your life. Now, if you look at the rest of that passage, the alive in Christ passage, what Paul does for the rest of it is he just says, just so you know, this Jesus that I'm asking you to trust in, the Jesus that that I want you to place your life into, He's the real deal. So he goes back into this Christological explanation of explaining who Christ is. So look at it in verse nine and 10. He says, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and you have been filled in him. In verse 12, he says, in Jesus, you are raised with him through faith, the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. You know that the scriptures actually say that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead takes up residence in you. So that we can be rooted built up and established the spirit of God in your life does that verse 13 you were dead in your trespasses and God made you alive together with him good news huh yeah. and then verse 15 Jesus has disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him Verse 15 is the victory verse. We know how the story ends. We know that we have victory over the very things that catch us up, the things that hold us back. The scriptures say, if the sun set you free, you're free indeed. We need to learn to live into the freedom that's ours in Christ. Jesus has total victory, but victory comes when we surrender, not when we take hold of things on our own. It's really this picture of releasing the grip on the things of this world so that you can embrace Christ. We all hold on to the wrong things, and when we do it, we can't embrace what Christ has for us. Encouragement this morning is that you believe into Jesus, walk with Jesus, be rooted, built up, established, abounding in thanksgiving. I have a little challenge for you uh, when it comes to the abounding in thanksgiving. It's something that I did um, earlier this year, but I decided yesterday that I'm gonna go back to it and I just wanna invite you to do it with me. Pick 40 days and for 40 days, uh, start every morning by journaling three things you're grateful for the day before. Three things that God did, and I would encourage you to be specific because if you don't, it'll just be the same thing. I'm glad that I'm saved. You can write those things, but, 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 but pay attention to the day before. And just journal those three things. Practice the abounding in thanksgiving. And I'm telling you, there is a joy that will fill you as you do it. So that's my uh, homework for you. Uh, I'm going to pray for us. I just want to encourage you. We have a prayer team down here. I know I said some hard things today. If something uh, stepped on your toes and you just want to come down and uh, pray about that, we would love to do that with you. If you want to leave some things here. Uh, that's what we do. So the prayer team will be down here. Lord, I just thank you for this amazing letter called Colossians. I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you for your desire to help us to be, and to cause us to be rooted, to be built up, to be established, to be abounding in thanksgiving. Would we be a church that is marked by that phrase, abounding in thanksgiving? Help us to walk faithfully, with you as we make you Lord of our lives, as we respond to the invitations to go deeper. Thank you for this church and thank you for the work that you're doing here. pray all this in Jesus' name, Amen. amen. Bless you. Go back and sign up for a weekend to remember.